Blog Talk Radio. When the opponent expands, I contract. When he contracts, I expand. And when there is an opportunity, I do not hit. It hits all by itself. Now, you must remember the enemy has only images and illusions behind which he hides his true motives. Destroy the image and you will break the enemy. You mentioned uh, President Nixon there. I was reading a piece that Norman Mailer wrote about you where recently where he described you as the second most prominent American, second most prominent after Nixon. We might dispute that. But would you like to, to be president? No. No? No, sir. Too dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> like, in other words, here's a ship. People are dancing on the ship. A lot of money's on the ship. A lot of food's on the ship. And I cannot integrate on the ship. I cannot have equality on the ship. I'm just in the galley working. And I never could get up and see the captain of the ship. Now, all of a sudden, the man tells me, uh, say, come on down, Ali, out of the galley. I want you to come up here and here, have something to drink. What do you want? And giving me number one spot. From the galley to the number one spot, I said, this ship must be sinking. Why is he <laughs> Why is he so nice to me now? What moves him to call me up here? Black men have been males now. One might be the president. America's in too much trouble. I don't want that job now. (laughs) You're traveling to another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind, a journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro Nerd Radio, with your guides, Dee Bert, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl B. Mind expansion engaged. The lovely Claire Linnae. <laughs> to her personally, I'm still working on this thing. We're going to do a, a, a complete redux intro, so it's taking a little bit of time. Anyway, folks, you know who it is. You know what this is. This is the Grindhouse featuring yours truly, Captain Kirk normally, but he's out on assignment again, but he will, he'll be back on Wednesday. Claire Linnae, and of course, Daryl B., the uncanny Daryl B. I should say the uncanny twins. Anyway, folks, uh, we're going to go to a quick groove. We have some melancholy iconography news to discuss briefly. The greatest of all time passes. Wow. 2016 officially has got to be the worst year on record. I'm just saying that. It's too, David Bowie, Prince, Muhammad Ali, 
It's crazy, folks. It's crazy. Anyway, um, 646-915-9620, 646-915-9620. Let's go to that urban alt, black rock, psychedelic soul groove. When we get back, we're going to get into the discourse. We're going to talk about pop culture and briefly about Cassius Clay slash Muhammad Ali. We'll get to it. This is bad, bad, not good. Ghostface Killer with MF Doom, Ray Gun. We'll give you about two minutes. Let's groove. Featuring yours truly, Clay Lene, and of course, Daryl B. The captain is out on assignment. Let's just get to it. Um, first up, let me bring in Doppelganger number one before we go to the left coast for Dopp- Doppelganger number two. You know who this gentleman is. He is the uncanny Daryl B. There comes a point in everybody's life where you lose your heroes. And and it it it's never an easy thing to do. It's it, it, you you pay your heroes with reverence. You tend to think they're mortal. You th- you tend to think they'll always be with you. So on this sad day, I just want to thank Muhammad Ali for all the memories, 
for all the courage he lent me and for to, the inspiration and the example to show that you can be unapologetic. Uh, you could be very black, be very boastful, yet be very intelligent with a social conscience. The man had his flaws, but the man was the greatest of all time. Okay? Not just in the ring, but out of the ring. He had his flaws, I repeat, had his flaws. But he also, if you looked at the strength and the delicacy that he did interviews outside the ring, when it came in, t- in regards to blackness and to where a black man should stand in America, a lot of you should be sitting down and paying attention right now. Thanks for the time, Afrinerd. As always. Now, next up, your doppelganger, the second half of the Wonder Twins. There's a lot of uh, double entendre with this intro, obviously. You know who this young woman is, young lady, pardon me. She is Claire Lene. Claire. Hey. Afro Nerd. How are you? I'm doing okay. How are you? I'm hanging in there, sis. Listen, um, I want you to do your thing. Oh, man. We'll get into it. (laughs) I want you to do what you do best, the weekly roundup. Um, And then after that, we'll get into Mr. Ali for a few moments. I know I've been getting uh, tweets telling me, you know, you, you better do a good one. I'm like, okay, the man just died yesterday. You know, my powers are vast. But, uh, you know, we do what we can do, but we'll get more in-depth with, with his, this historical iconography on Wednesday. But I'll talk about Muhammad Ali briefly, and then we'll get into our geekery thing. So what, what, ha- what say you for this week, Claire? What say me? Okay, well, we've got a lot to get into. I'll try to go through it as quickly as I can. So let's start off. X-Men Apocalypse earned $80 million during its four-day Memorial Weekend. Those numbers are a bit softer than what the studio was hoping for, but it is far from a flop. It's about $23 million less than its predecessor, Days of Future Past, which earned $113 million during its four-day weekend in 2014. Currently, it stands at about $291 million worldwide after eight days. Captain America Civil War is currently at $1.1 billion after about a month after its release. Deadpool has been at the top of the home video charts, for about three weeks straight. Now, there seems to be a pattern of dissension among the ranks on the TV side of Marvel and DC. It started with Chloe Bennett saying that Marvel doesn't care about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because of the studio's decision to not have the show cross over into the then-planned Inhumans movie, then take the project off the film schedule altogether for the time being, and more recently pushing the show an hour later to a 10 p.m. slot instead of a 9 p.m. when it returns in the fall. Then came an interview Tom Cavanaugh did explaining all the reasons why he believed Grant Gustin should have been considered for the Flash movie version of Barry Allen. Now we've got Arrow actress Willa Holland calling out Warner Brothers for not allowing any elements of the Suicide Squad movie to overlap with Oliver Queen and company. The notion of a potential crossover was squashed once the show started minimizing or removing characters such as Amanda Waller, Deadshot, Deathstroke, Katana, 
Bronze Tiger, and Shrapnel. After Seth Graham Smith exited the Flash movie, Warner Brothers has now found its new director, Nigerian-American Rick Famuyiwa, whose credits include Brown Sugar, Our Family Wedding, and Dope. More than two months after Batman vs. Superman's release, the aftermath can still be seen as the actor who played Alfred Jeremy Irons and Watchmen co-creator Dave Gibbons have shared comments regarding their disappointment with the film. Brie Larson is the frontrunner for playing Carol Danvers in the upcoming Captain Marvel movie due out in 2019. The 26-year-old actress won an Academy Award earlier this year for her role in the indie film Room. T.J. Miller of Silicon Valley and Deadpool has been cast in Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One. Miller will be joining X-Men Apocalypse's Ty Sheridan and Star Trek's Simon Pegg in the sci-fi action thriller due out in 2018. Following Warcraft and Assassin's Creed, Jake Gyllenhaal has just signed on to star in the movie adaptation of Tom Clancy's The Division video game. Clearly, he didn't learn his lesson after Prince of Persia. Maze Runner's Rosa Salazar has been chosen to star in the upcoming Alita Battle Angel. James Cameron will produce and Robert Rodriguez is set to direct. An eight-episode run of the X-Men spin-off Legion has been ordered by FX to, due to air early 2017. The series will be produced by both 20th Century Fox as well as Marvel Studios. It's been rumored that Disney has ordered reshoots for roughly 40% of the Star Wars standalone movie Rogue One, which is due out this December. While reshoots has become standard practice for big-budget movies, it's been said that executives were concerned that the first cut of the movie had the wrong tone and that they would prefer the prequel to be more comparable with the Star Wars A New Hope instead of a war movie. There's also been speculation that Disney is considering using this as an opportunity to insert a few additional scenes with their newfound young Han Solo actor Alden Ehrenreich. Also in the rumor mill, it's possible that Guardians of the Galaxy has found their villain Aisha. The actress in question to play said baddie is Elizabeth Debicki, who also played a villain in the movie The Man from UNCLE last year. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is due out May 2017. After two different attempts at a Hulk solo movie, Marvel could be hedging their bets incorporating a Planet Hulk storyline into Thor Ragnarok. Universal still owns the rights to the character and has loaned Bruce Banner out to Marvel Studios, similar in fashion to Sony's deal to share Spider-Man in the MCU. Only this time it's a bit more complicated because there's a lot more legal entanglements regarding who owns the rights to the character via print, television, film production, and film distribution. Thor Ragnarok is due out November 2017. And speaking of Universal have the rights to another property that they've owned, namely Namor the Submariner, officially reverted back to Marvel? According to Marvel Chief Creative Officer Joe Quesada, they are under Marvel's purview, but his response to an interview during Kevin Smith's podcast sounded a little bit vague and might not count as an actual confirmation as of yet. Even if all of this is true, we probably wouldn't see a Namor movie in the MCU until 2020 or later. While Brian Singer has stated that he needs a break from the X-Men, when really it's us fans who need a break from him, 
He also <laughs> mentioned that he's interested in seeing a Mystique solo movie, regardless of whether or not Jennifer Lawrence is interested in starring in it. And in weirder news today, wrapping th- this week's roundup, Anthony Hopkins has just joined the cast of Transformers 5, The Last Night, which is due out June of next year. And that's all I got for you. Like I said, lots of cover. All right. As always, Claire, excellent. Appreciate that. Um, it, it really makes for, for our show a hearty meal for the listener, I, I believe. We get, we're covering all bases, folks, so you know you have to stay tuned to Afronor Radio because you're going to get it all. Um, let, let, let's get into this. Let's mix it up a little bit. Um, I want to talk about Muhammad Ali respectfully, and then we'll get into uh, less serious fare. You know, um, I took a, a major hit. I'm saying this personally. We all did, but I will say for myself. I took a major hit because folks know that uh, my lead artist, my go-to guy musically was Prince Rogers Nelson. So when he passed a a few months ago, a month and a half ago or such, uh, I got hit pretty hard. Uh, Folks were coming up to me and asking me, how are you doing? Because they knew I had such an affinity for his music. And uh, he he represented my soundtrack. So um, here we go again with another iconic hero of mine, Cassius Clay, a.k.a. Muhammad Ali, who passed yesterday. And honestly, you could do several shows on someone who has such a, a, a large swath of history and who is so, so um, endemic to, to American culture. I mean, it's one thing to say, okay, African-American culture, but Muhammad Ali transcended that. You could say respectfully that Muhammad Ali really turned around the the notions of what athletics could be and professional boxing not notwithstanding. I mean this this gentleman from Louisville, Kentucky we're talking about somebody who transcended Boxing and was became more more of a social social political icon. Um, unstoppable in the ring, a unique boxing style. But if you go into his, if you go into his athletic prowess, that's one aspect of Muhammad Ali. The other aspect of Muhammad Ali has a lot to do with what he did during the '60s and early '70s, as far as not. Not pigeonholing himself, part pigeonholing himself, into participating in the Vietnam War. As an African American, he saw a connection to other folks of color, and because of the treatment of African Americans at that time, he said, "There's no way I have any have a dog in this race with the quote unquote white man's war." No Viet Cong did anything to me. So he, his career suffered for about four years because he was brought up on draft evasion charges. He was found guilty, actually. Um, so from the latter part of the 60s to the early 70s until that conviction was overturned, you know, he was not the most favorable person. I mean, he, on top of that, changing his name, he, he was born Cassius Clay. And mind you, Cassius Clay, the actual uh, person he was named after, was a, a famed abolitionist. So... When you get into just from his early beginnings, the fact that 
his birth name was was historic. And then, of course, the fact that you know people change their names, like Meta World Peace, but I don't think it has the same resonance as someone changing the name from Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali. He has the distinction of being the, the um, heavyweight champion three times between 64 and 78. Uh, a person who's, who vocally was, he just was a loudmouth. And I say that in a way where he, was, he, he did not have any fear of speaking up. And on top of that, he was also a part of the Nation of Islam and had close connections with Malcolm X. So when you go into a game, this guy's history, pardon me, this gentleman's history, I have to give a few moments to it, but we will have to dig in deep for Wednesday's show. But we lost a major historical figure. The, the, the boxing matches, the rumble in the jungle, the thriller in Manila, I mean, just, just an incredible human being. And, um, wow, I, I can't... Um, Unabashedly black, unapologetically black. I have affinity for uh, for a number of boxers, but this particular boxer, just an incredible human being, and he has left the building, folks. We will never see his kind again. Had close connections with Prince Rogers Nelson, Nelson, which makes sense. Actually, they worked on a project, uh, I think, 20 years ago or such, 97, 98. They worked on a project together, and you would figure that two icons would meet up on some occasion. He suffered from Parkinson's disease within the last 20, 25 years, so he has been severely debilitated. And that infamous, quote-unquote, loudmouth, <laughs> uh, you know, we, we didn't really hear that. So we, he was on the decline for some time. Uh, just, a, just a really uh, – I'm incredibly sad. This year has been a very difficult one for me. Very difficult. We'll, we will we will pick this up again on Wednesday because it's just not enough time, and I want to be, give uh, all due respect to his prominence. Um, that's it. We will pick it up again for Wednesday. But I wanted to just throw a couple of things out out to the audience to remember that this man was no joke. He was a historical person that we will be talking about for another couple of hundred years, certainly. Uh, Daryl. Yep. Let's get into this. All right. Let's get into this. Um, I want to talk about uh, actually something that the lovely Claire Lene brought up, uh, Prince Namor, the Submariner, one of my favorite characters. And it's, it's interesting that um, Joe Quesada, Marvel's CCO, that he kind of hinted at this, but we still don't know, you know, the full legal – um, meanderings with this thing, but I, I'm led to believe that if, if you threw it out there like that, that it's pretty much going to go in a certain direction with with that character. Um, I, I'm already seeing some folks of note that are putting their their, their hats in the ring right away, so uh, I'm, I'm intrigued about that. But what what do you think about where he could fit in in the Marvel universe um, now that Agent? Carter is gone, although I see that uh, uh, Haley Atwell, that Haley, pardon me, Haley Atwell, that she still has a lot of affinity for the, for the show and the character, and she's still talking about uh, Agent Carter. But I would have liked to have seen a Namor in 
you know, the, the 1940s. But, you know. But what, and what, that what, might what do you be a way to, going to happen? And that might be a way to bring Agent Carter back. Have it happen the, the next mission they do, you know, the big budget this. You can't do a series, we do a movie for like $30, 40000000 million, all right? And have one of Agent Car- uh, Carter's missions go awry, and she discovers Atlantis. And she discovers Namor. And, and that's way back when, and uh, we, could do it, we could set it during the Cold War. Because remember, Peggy lived through all of this time. So she's had a lot of adventures. You could actually use her as a touchstone to get Namor in. Similar to how they use in the comics when they reintroduced Namor for for the current audiences in, I believe, what, 1960? Right after Fantastic Four, around, I want to say... I think Fantastic Four number four? Yeah, yeah. The, where they used uh, Johnny Storm, Human Torch, discovering uh, um, Submariner. And 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 then boom kicks off everything with that and that's how he became intertwined with the Fantastic Four, for the side of the universe. See, all this time I thought Namor's rights were Fox, because Fox had everything connected to Fantastic Four. It wasn't until three years ago that we found out. No, no, no. Universal has both Hulk and Namor. So I was like, oh boy. But then seeing Hulk in Avengers gave hope to, hey, maybe we could pull off an Atlantis thing. Now, hey, hey, we can really pull off the Atlantis thing now, which will be uh, kind of hilarious because DC is going full bore with Aquaman. So not not to throw any shade DC's way here, but everybody... Everybody and their mom knows about Aquaman, whether it's true dumb, corny jokes about his powers, whether it was Super Friends, whether it was JLU, everybody knows that. What the majority of the mainstream don't know about, they don't know Namor. They know him with Fantastic Four, but uh, did, do you guys know about his war with the... <laughs> Uh, this other hero that comes from Africa um, I, we, we know him pretty well Oh yeah, that's right Atlantis was at war with Wakanda Because Namor as Phoenix Kind of destroyed Wakanda And then To retaliate, Wakanda kind of Laid waste to Atlantis so, um, so yeah Him and Black Panther <laughs> might, might, might have an interesting Meeting or two in the MCU coming down later on the line. You know, there is, again, he's got ties to whether it be his Oracle Industries fighting with Stark Industries, you know, that was um, Iron Man, whether it be the Defenders, which the team makeup was uh, him, Silver Surfer, Hulk, and Doctor Strange. Oh, yeah, Doctor Strange has a movie in November. You know, whether it be him being on the Invaders with uh, the, the this lesser-known duo named Captain America and Bucky, <laughs> you know. So 
Maymore has got ties to just about everybody in the Avengers Marvel Cinematic Universe right now. You know, so it'd be they again, Marvel's had so many successes in characterization, they can introduce him possibly anywhere. Hell if if that if the Ragnarok Planet Hulk theory didn't come. I had a story in my head about where Hulk's plane actually landed, which would have been outside of Atlantis, and we could have used that to introduce Namor. But we got him. Namor's in the fold. Nothing to worry about. Let's see how, how everything develops. And because they got the rights back, hey, I think I know another hero that may appear during Infinity War. Just saying. Back to you, Afrinos. All right. Before we bring in Claire, um, just a couple of things. I, I want to go back a little bit just so the audience knows, because sometimes we can speak a little too insider, and folks may not know, because I'm realizing that when you go to the comic shop, you have so many folks that are, that are becoming more interested in this culture from the movies that they really have no idea about some of these folks. When these names come out, they're saying, Namor who? Uh, again, uh, Prince Namor, a.k.a. Namor McKenzie, a- a.k.a. the Submariner, is really comic book's first aquatic hero. He actually predates Aquaman. Some folk, as you just kind of hinted at, Daryl, uh, Aquaman is more well-known, more ubiquitous. But the reality is that he, uh, Namor predates Aquaman for about a year. So you have an aquatic hero, um, and probably one of the first anti-heroes, if you really want to get into it, where uh, even going back into his, his uh, debut in 1939, he was, you know, he was fighting the Human Torch. This guy was an angry guy. And he was going back and forth. There's always been this, this fight between uh, his feelings towards, quote-unquote, surface dwellers, the fact that he, that he is the king of Atlantis, that he is royalty, and the fact that when there's a threat that supersedes issues between surface dwellers and, uh, and Atlantis, like the Nazis, he became involved with the conflict during World War II and became kind of a, a sideline part of the jingoism of Captain America and Bucky. And what you just said, bringing him back into the fold, he could be, he could be put in, in different points in Marvel mythology. Um, Hopefully we might see, we will see, if Fox, I know Claire's chomping at the bit on this, if Fox actually gains some kind of common sense, some kind of sanity, and gets, get off this, and gets off this FF train, the Fantastic Four loser train, works out something with Marvel, if the Fantastic Four become, get back into the fold with Marvel cinematically, then that's a, that's a route for... For, for the Submariner to come in, and because of the current the current storyline with the Black Panther um, and Submariner, you might see some kind of closing in credit scene with Submariner for 2018. I don't know, but I'm, I'm elated to see that this character comes back, and then also the the infamous rivalry between DC and Marvel. We do know that Jason Momoa is on track. For Aquaman, we already saw a a cameo of the character in the Batman vs Superman debacle, but we did see him. 
and he has been he looks badass. That's another thing too. What about that's why I, I want to ask uh, Claire about this. What about do you foresee there being a conflict with Marvel and DC as far as the tone between their aquatic heroes? Like how, how will they because it, because this Aquaman is really very much from how he looks very much Namor-esque. You know, he couldn't be the, 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 the uh, Super Friends version uh, riding on seahorses and, and talking to fish. This is not that guy. So what are your thoughts about that? Like, actually introducing Submariner, maybe not as a movie, but maybe some, some other kind of way. So there won't be really any confusion. What are your thoughts about it? Well, I mean, I just think the timing is uh, its pretty interesting, right? I mean, we know that uh, Jason Momoa is set to, you know, lead this whole Aquaman, you know, franchise probably, I think, 2018. So even with 30 seconds, you know, 20 seconds on the screen, I mean, it definitely gives you an essence of what is to come. And you're right, he does look like a badass. This is not a super hokey, super friendly, super smiley um, Arthur Curry. But, I mean, I've had a lot of people tell me that they were actually hoping that Jason Momoa would be would be Prince Namor. Because That's true, just, too. The look, the exotic look, the physicality, the presence, I mean, I had a lot of people, you know, hoping against hope that, that something would work out sooner in terms of Marvel's deal with Universal. But as I had mentioned before, that is a contract even more complicated than the agreement that they have with sharing the Hulk. But uh, but it only seems fitting, right? It only seems fitting that now all of a sudden, you know, like you said, this is not anywhere near as popular or brand name recognition, you know, familiar in terms of Aquaman, not many people have ever heard of this guy. But in terms of how to differentiate the two characters, that'll be interesting. I mean, there's time. And I've said this even with Fantastic Four. If, if you know, hell froze over <laughs> and somehow Fox relinquished its stranglehold over the Fantastic Four and gave it back to Marvel... If somehow that happened, I've even said about them that it would be a while before the MCU would find a way in which to integrate them into the story, into that universe. Because they've already got a lot going on between now and 2020. You know, even even the addition of Captain Marvel and Black Panther and Spider-Man has kind of shuffled things around a bit. And hell, it even... Well, not directly, but perhaps indirectly, it bumped off in humans. So the schedule is already pretty full. And as we mentioned in a previous podcast, I mean, Disney, the Disney umbrella encompasses Star Wars, Marvel, its own Disney properties, as well as Pixar. So you have to be careful about where you, you know, where on the calendar do you release your film because it cannot compete with another one of your own properties. So, but like I said, the 20, um, I'm sorry, the Fantastic Four, 
expires for Fox in 2022. So they have until then to figure out whether or not they want to shell out another <laughs> another placeholder movie because they're so stubborn that they just they'll do anything and everything not to give it back. And in terms of figuring out for Marvel what they want to do with Namor, and they they've got time, you know, they've got time to figure out how they want to incorporate him as well as to see what DC does with Aquaman in 2018, they can take a look at that and see, okay, well, how do we set ourselves apart from that? Just so that the two who are very similar in in look and tone and presence don't get, you know, don't become confusing for the audience who isn't really into this stuff, you know, who is who doesn't really know who's on what side, what the difference is between Marvel and DC or Marvel versus Fox or Sony or whatnot. So I don't know. I don't know. But but I am excited because already we've got some people showing a lot of interest. You know, we've got fan people already putting up their, their, their top picks of who they want cast, and I'm very pleased to see that a lot of folks are interested in seeing someone of color. So as long as that happens, hey, I'm... I'm all for it. Let's do it. Yeah, and again, you know, we, we've had issues with Marvel, all, all of us collectively. And, uh, you know, now it's, it's, you, you kind of always want on this one, Marvel. So they, they may need to go in that direction. And, and again, uh, Jason Momoa, he, they kind of did a reversal on this because Namor has always had an exotic look. So it, it, would, be more, it would be more sensical commonsensical to go in that direction for a minority actor to portray uh, this character. We've already seen two gentlemen of Asian descent who, uh, you know, their names are floating about. Um, with, with, um, with Aquaman, Aquaman has always been, uh, dare I say, a Nazi po- poster boy in water. <laughs> I hate to put it be so blunt, but that's what he looked like. And, uh, you would imagine, but the reality is that once you see Jason Momoa, it's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. You know, an aquatic hero. He's he's a Pacific Islander. Uh, you know, it just makes sense. But I, I, if he had his hair shorn, because the guy has a physical presence to do it, if he had his hair shorter, put some Spock-like ears on him, and some CGI on the ankles for for the for the wings, uh, that's your Namor. So, and that's that's one distinction is that Namor can fly. And, you know, it's, it's a whole bunch of stuff going. There are some things different. I think, Daryl, you make you could even say that. I think that the uh, the complaint for for the villains of some of these characters. I think actually, when you think about it, Submariner has some pretty decent and formidable villains versus Aquaman. That that what is true. That is true. But I I look at it this way: for for Namor's first film. I would enjoy it a heck of a lot if he starts out the villain, where it's his movie, but we see him with a cataclysm or something to start attacking the surface world, and the heroes have to unite to stop him. It would be a total change of pace for Marvel. It would be a total change of pace for his fans. But isn't some of the criticism, oh, Marvel's a little too jokey now. The stakes aren't there. It would be a total shakeup 
to have Namor essentially the villain of of the, the his movie, but the star at the same time. Just just food for thought. Just guys out there listening, gals out there listening. Just think about that a sec, because you know if you've read if you've read the comics, all right. And I'm I'm uh, praising this to comic book fans. Half of the time you read Submariner comics, he's attacking the surface world. You know, I'm I'm staying away from the X Men, where he's the he's the first mutant and all of that. But think about it, Fantastic Four. Avengers, he was attacking them half of the t- uh, half of the time. Then he was helping them. Just think about that hard. Think about that hard. Back to you, Afrinerd. All right, let's turn things around a little bit. Uh, let's get into Dope's Rick Famuyiwa, the gentleman that we spoke about actually last year because I thought Dope was an excellent. Well, Dope was its namesake. I actually I actually love Dope. Uh, for for a, a whole host of reasons, perhaps obvious ones, that it really put a uh, a highlight on blurred culture. We finally saw kind of that that nerdy black aesthetic that we've all been wanting to see going against type. I mean, it had some problems. I mean, very small problems. I mean, there was issues with having to kind of tie the character had to tie himself into some ghetto culture. Not that he was that way, but just his surroundings. They had to be a kind of a, a, a ghetto uh, arch nemesis, which was ASAP Rocky, who actually was a respectable actor in this particular um, film. But you know that that trope was there. I think even Daryl spoke about that. That we that that had to be everything else about the guy's cogitation. Uh, he was he was looking to go to Harvard. Uh, his mentor was a Harvard dude, but then he turned out to be a villain as well. Um, I forgot the the actor's name. Uh, Roger Guinevere Smith, excellent actor. You know him from the uh, Spike Lee films. So there was some some great things, and also had a a frenetic quality that I could see him actually doing the Flash. So let's open it up. Let's go around the horn. Uh, let's go to Claire. I don't know if Claire got a chance to actually check out Dope. She said she did not see it last time I saw her on Twitter, but um, I think. This is a good look. I'm more familiar with with Dope and this gentleman's work than I am with Seth Graham Smith. So, well, you know why? Because Seth Graham Smith has never directed anything in his life. That's why well, Warner Brothers told him to to kick rocks because they realized <laughs> that they needed to find somebody that had some experience. Seth Graham Smith is a writer, so he's written stuff like, you know. Um, what was it? Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and Abraham, right, right, right. Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. So he does kind of that mishmash of, you know, old regal versus you know current horror tropes and whatnot. So he's you know he's a writer, but he's never directed anything. But quote unquote, they left on you know he left on amicable terms. But uh, I have not yet seen Dope. I'm going to see it for sure. Um, this is uh, this is interesting. I, I mean, honestly, I don't even know what to think. I really don't. Because this is certainly not the direction that I would have expected. But, like I said, i got to take a look at his work, get a sense of his style, his voice, his tone, um, his storytelling. But... Uh, but uh, 
even so, just it's just very interesting, you know? It's very interesting, their choices that they're making for Barry Allen, for the director. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I see our friend from Chi-Town is waiting in advance. I may want to speak to him for a few moments. Um, he has more familiarity with Mr. Famuyiwa, if I'm pronouncing his surname correctly. Um, I, I know I, 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 I did see that Sergio did not necessarily like Dope. Um, I will say I liked it because, hell, they had references to Afropunk. I mean, this was, this was a blurred film. They're not apt to showing blurred films. I wish, because it did relatively well, I would have... You know, it was a smaller film, but I would have hoped that we might have seen more films like this to kind of show what else is going on with people of color, specifically black people. But uh, I, I appreciate it. And also, maybe uh, I reach out to the director. Um, I think I actually we had an exchange briefly when he was doing Dope. But um, I suspect he also has nerd cred even with this, this, this film, this, this uh, film choice. So he may be better for this film than than one would expect. Um, but let me bring in Sergio uh, to speak briefly on this. Mr. Mims, is that you? Yes, it is me. Yes, it is me. Um, I was not a fan of Dope. I was really looking forward to it when I saw it. And uh, my problem with the movie, several problems with the film is, even though it dealt with blood, uh, blurred culture, it fell straight into the old, tired tropes about drug dealing and guns. And I said, couldn't he have come up with something more original than that? You know, gee, these switch bags, and now he's got the bag with drugs, and now everybody's after him. That's an old, tired premise that's been done a thousand times. I wish he had done something different with it. Also, I have, this is, I'm talking like a man, personally. If you have a film where you have an extraordinary beautiful woman who's naked throughout the picture, and then they make her really repulsive and annoying, that ticks me off. I don't know about you, but that really ticked me off in the film. Um, I don't know. I think, you know, he's an interesting choice, but here's the problem. He's, he's, he's got a problem. And I also say the same thing with Ryan Coogler. There's a great article I read today about Studios who are hiring these young directors who have done these small independent films to make these big tempo movies. Now, sometimes it works, like in the case of Godzilla, the recent case of Godzilla, or like Jurassic World. A lot of times it doesn't, like Warcraft. You don't know what's going to happen here. And studios like to hire these young directors because they like to push them around. And a lot of these directors are in a bind because the usual type of movies they make, these lower-budgeted, mid-level films, studios are making less of, which means that either directors like, um, you know, directors who make these kind of films, either they have to hustle to raise the money to make a movie, or they wind up directing commercials, or they go into something other line of work. So when they get an opportunity like this, of course they're going to take it. Um, but it, the project, may, for example, you mentioned Rogue One. Well, from what everything I've heard is that Garth Edwards, I believe his name, the guy that did Godzilla, he really made a really interesting film, and he made his own picture, which Disney did not want. 
they want Disney product. They want something that's going to fit in line with everything else. And to be honest with you, is he directing the new stuff? I don't know. Or did he bring in another director, uncredited? I don't know. This is the problem that the young director he uh, of, I know how to pronounce his name, has with um, The Flash. Hope it works out well for him. I want to see a brother succeed, but... You Hello, Serge? Serge? Yes. Yes. No, I thought you were cut off. It's not like you were cut off for a moment. Okay, no. You said you wanted, you wanted to see him succeed. You said you wanted, wanted yes. him to succeed, and then that was it. Uh, I, I'll oh, no, say I want to see him bring, succeed. Of course I do. I'll say this, and I'll bring um, Daryl back in, because I, I was getting some feedback from his mic. Um, I, I think, really, it's hit or miss now, because you have someone like Zack Snyder, and I know Claire knows where I'm going with this, who had a, a track record, had a biography, and he was given autonomy, and look what you got. And then if you get a younger cat that's hungry, who knows how to follow directions, if the studio suits have a successful product and they say they want you to just execute, I don't know what to, how, what to say about that. I mean, I understand one's right to uh, self-determination. I understand that. But I also understand on the business side that, hell, if this is working and the fan base is for the most part satisfied, don't screw it up. Follow our lead. Uh, the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, for all intents and purposes, they got it right. And there are folks that are not even a part of that universe that are trying to, trying to channel their success. Everyone wants to do crossover films now. There's even, speaking of Universal, uh, you know this as a cineast, um, Sergio, that uh, the beloved Universal Monster franchise, that now they're trying to work a way to, to revisit that with their own kind of monster Avengers, for the lack of a better, you know, connection, <laughs> that they're trying to do that. Everyone's trying to do the Marvel way. So Marvel has, you know, they, they kind of know what they're doing, and if you execute what they say, hopefully young Master Coogler will do that. Um, it is what it is. It, it's giving these young folks a shot if they're, if they're talented enough. I, I'm somewhat open because Marvel really hasn't screwed up, and even if they did screw up, it would be, Few and far between. Nothing lasts forever, but I, I can handle a screw-up for Marvel right now because they've had such a, a lengthy track record right now, TV and movies and otherwise. Um, See, but here's but the I'm question. Not, How long is that going to last? How long really is that going to last? Well, okay, because, well, nothing you lasts know, forever, but they, they got you know, $10 because billion. People are thinking, like, well, this is, this is coming out in, in 2018 and this is coming in 2019. I'm like, wow. Well, really? Listen, the, the issue, the, the deal, the deal, because you're not into this. But respectfully, but the deal is that they <laughs> they already mapped out this plan. They mapped out this plan, and it's, they have ten billion dollars in success to show it. Claire, you about to say something? I was just going to jump in in terms of I I might not have read the exact same article, but I do know what you were referring to, Sergio, in terms of this this trend of studios giving um, very green directors, directors who don't really have much under their belt, these huge franchise films. And the thing is, is that, yes, you're going to, you know, it's a hit or miss. I mean, because like, like we've seen, there have been directors who have been, you know, in the business for quite a while. I'm not going to say names, <clears throat> Snyder. Or directors <laughs> who have 
been the quote-unquote, you know, you know, leader, caretaker, the inception of a franchise, you know, for like, what, 16 years, just about, you know, with X-Men, talking about Singer. So just because these guys have been given the king, the keys to the kingdom, given all the power, doesn't mean that they've always done it right. Doesn't mean that they've always, you know, done right by fans, let alone, you know, putting together a movie that tells a story coherently or does justice to all of its characters. The thing is, is that, yes, you're going to have great examples of success, such as Jurassic World and Godzilla and even... Technically speaking, James Gunn for Guardians of the Galaxy or the Russo brothers with, you know, the Captain America series. They didn't really have that much experience with big budget films. So let's look at the other end of the uh, spectrum. Josh Trank. Now, if this isn't a cautionary no. tale, okay? if this isn't a <laughs> cautionary tale, then I don't know what is. Because this guy was a kid. Okay, a kid, when they approached him, he was 28 years old, he directed one movie called Chronicle, and for a $12 million budget, he was able to bring back, you know, 120, 130, 40, something, you know, profit out of it. So they're like all, all over this guy. Everyone in Hollywood's like, this is it. He's the new thing. I mean, we, we got to keep him in-house. We got to keep him at the studio. So let's give him Fantastic Four. So the problem is, is regardless of whether or not you see potential in this young director or because he's so inexperienced, you just see an opportunity to be the puppet master and just tell him what to do. The point is, is that if your visions regarding how the story should be told differ, which they did because Fox wanted to do one thing, the director wanted to do something else, then chaos is going to ensue and it was a disaster from the get-go i mean and then he basically sabotaged it by sending out that tweet the night of its release so i mean that was i mean that's that's a great example i haven't seen warcraft i haven't seen it but again if you don't know exactly what it is you want to do and are in full agreement and alignment with how it should be told then, of course, it's going to be a disaster. So I'm not really sure what it's going to be for the Flash movie. Like I said, haven't seen Dope. I'm very curious now, listening to your conversation. I'm just thrown because I certainly did not expect these choices of, you know, Ezra Miller Here's the thing. Uh, I believe, I always wonder... When they hired a particular director to do a film, one of these young directors, um, do they know the material that they're going to direct? For example, take the Russo brothers. The Russo brothers came out of left field, right? And I loved Winter Soldier. I think Civil War is tremendous. I've seen it already. And I said, the Russo brothers, I guess they really know that Marvel Universe for them to do it so well. And I think a lot, of, but I think in many cases, like Josh Trank, did Josh Trank know Fantastic Four? Did he know the storylines? Did he know these characters before they hired him to do the movie? I think that helps a lot. For example, if I was a director 
I'll be honest. If I was a director and he offered me a Fantastic Four film, a Marvel film, I would turn it down, despite what it could do for my career, because I do not know it. I don't know it. Now, if you offer me a James Bond film, I would do it, because I know Bond. I, I know all the movies. I've seen them a thousand times. I know the history of Bond. I know the story of Bond. I know the background. I know the references in every movie to other films, because I'm a Bond freak, right? Or if I could do a Western. I could do a Western blindfolded because I know the genre. I'm steeped in it, in Westerns, right? It's my favorite genre of all, are Westerns, right? But a lot of times I think they hire these directors and they look at it as a great opportunity, but do they know the story? Do they know the characters? I think a lot of times they don't. Well, I, I mean, with this. him, in Josh Trank's case, I do believe that he knew Hell, he even he even wanted to have the flying car. Like he was he was willing to delve into some of the more you know out there elements of a Fantastic Four, but Fox was not about it. But the issue is is that even though he might have been aware of of the the, the characters and and the the storylines, the content, it was very clear that he chose chose to alter its tone drastically to be more of a Cronenberg body horror type of film similar to the tone that was very dark and sinister in Chronicle. So that's the thing. Even with Ryan Coogler, who as far as I know, doesn't actually know that much about White Panther. Maybe I I read that wrong. Maybe I'm confusing him with someone else. But if he if he doesn't believe me, he's he's learning right now. Absolutely, you're going to do your research. You're going to be educated. You're going to go through the the ropes of all the different you know material and content and archives. But it's about whether your vision for the story is in alignment with what the studio wants. Does that mean it's necessarily right? Do I think that Fox is right on the money all the time? No, I don't. But what I'm saying is that if you're always clashing and fighting, like, oh, I want this actor. No, well, we don't want this one. Well, if it's always kind of, you know, this battle, this negotiation, then I I can't see how it would succeed. And, you know, that's a great example of how to crash and burn. Well, you know, but first of all, studios are very different. Warner Brothers is known as a very filmmaker-friendly studio. They tend to let filmmakers go, do your thing. Fox is very hands-on. Very extremely hands-on. The guy who directed Wolverine, oh gosh, I forgot his name now, uh, the South African director, uh, Hood, Gavin Hood, he complained after the film came out how Fox just, you know, everything was second-guessed by them. He he told the story about once they shot a scene in a, in a set, he came back Monday, the set was repainted. They had to reshoot it all over again because some of the execs of Fox didn't like the look of the studio. So, I mean, didn't like the look of the set. So, a lot of times, um, depends on what studio you're working with. Now, Marvel, I don't know how Marvel is as a studio. Are they very hands on? I guess they have to be if they're property. Um, but what are they like working with filmmakers? I, I don't know, you know. Um, well, listen, what, I, I think this is. I think this is really a confluence, honestly, a confluence of the the director and the studios. I, I could definitely see a comparison between Fox and DC or Fox and Warner Brothers. 
that you have these directors that come come aboard. They have their own style, their own vision. And you have studios that really could care less about the source material because the, the X-Men, you know, although they're making money, they're really not what we would expect from a Marvel-produced situation. So you have the studios doing their own thing, or they, they have their own vision of, of reinterpreting the source material. And then you have these, these directors that also have, they may, may or may not have knowledge of the source material, but even if they did, and I think Trank had knowledge of it, as Claire had said, he already had his intentions to change things around. He, has a, he had a multi, uh, multi-racial uh, familial experience, and that's to be applauded, but he wanted to translate that through this Fantastic Four. So he had an agenda. Fox did care, Fox did care less. That's why that sucked. Uh, Zack Snyder, uh, he had an agenda. He, was a de- he wanted to deconstruct Superman and Batman, just like uh, Trank wanted to deconstruct Fantastic Four. And you had a studio that could care less. They just want to make money. Whereas Marvel is more, uh, more adept in translating their source material. They're more, more interested in actually translating what they know, what they created to the film. To the film. And, it, and it, it pleases the audience. They, that's just simple and plain. Anytime you stay close to the source material with this genre, for some reason, miraculously, people are shocked that it makes money. Uh, the fact that Deadpool made almost a billion dollars as a less than tertiary character is shocking to people, whereas people said, well, that's Fox doing a Marvel movie. Fox actually did a Marvel movie. That's why they did That's why it made money. If you choose to deconstruct the source material, it's not going to work. Simple and plain. Let me bring in Daryl. Daryl, did I say anything that was uh, incorrect on this? Well, the, you guys forgot one major point, and this is why I don't stick up for Trask. Early on, in that, he told Mara, oh, you don't need to read Fantastic Four literature to do this. Right there, you lost me. Because if you're going to do a Fantastic Four film, and the actress doesn't know anything about Sue Storm or anything, hand her a damn Fantastic Four comic book, please. You don't go and tell one of your actors, no, you don't need to read and know about the character to do this. Really? Right there, well, I was I'm, like, I'm I was not like. I'm not picking up with Frank at all. And frankly, he hated her. Like, he hated that choice. Fox forced him to cast her, and he forced Fox to cast Miles Teller to play Reed Richards. So already we're talking about picking and choosing your battles and negotiating, and, and the whole every step of the way was a fight. Yeah. So well, that doesn't surprise me at all. But my question to you, because I brought this up earlier, we're okay. talking about you know staying tr- true to the source material or staying true to the studio's vision or bring something new. So now that we're hearing these rumors of people having to reshoot 40% of Star Wars Rogue One because the studio feels it's not the correct tone and that they want it to be more light. Compared, like similar to Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, mm-hmm. the predecessor, compared to what the movie cut is, which is more like a, a battle. It's more like a war movie. It's more espionage-like. It's, you know, which well, they're going to reshoot what almost half the movie before mm. December. I mean, what's what are you, what are your thoughts on that? Let let let's put it this way. 
as a sci-fi fan, as a fan of the first two movies, four and five, folks. When I say first two movies, it's it's Star Wars and Empire. Right there, everything ended until The Force Awakens for me, okay? This is not supposed to have the same tone. And right now, Disney is letting their Warner Brothers show, okay? This is very serious business here. This is an espionage film. This is a film where people will die. This is a film where people are going to get eviscerated. You're going into deep enemy lines to steal the plans for the super weapon, which everybody knows what the super weapon is right now. But if you remember Star Wars and how they described they got the plans, we lost a lot of good people getting these plans out. That's back in the original film when they were given the briefing. How did we get the plans? We lost a lot of good people getting these plans out. So how are you going to make that lighthearted? Once I heard that, I was like, Disney, have you learned nothing from Warner Brothers? Have you learned nothing of what the fans have done to Warner Brothers every time they screw up the the, the direction of these things? No, no, no. We're going to do it with this. If this is an espionage kind of darker movie, then it doesn't affect 7, 8, and 9. All right? But Disney, again, this is, this is where I'm 100% in Edgar Wright's corner. All right? You can tell a different story here with a different tone, and it won't affect the other movies. You know, this is supposed to be a flashback-type film to a specific event in Star Wars lore. And you want to reshoot it to make it lighter? How is this different than Batman Superman uh, or uh, saying, oh, we're going to add more shots and to make it R? Disney, get a grip. Just just get a grip because you are about to kill the golden goose here. I feel like Milhouse in that episode of Simpsons where he does he does his, his best newsroom impersonation like, we're at the tipping point, people. Where he goes down, looks down, squealing like this. Disney, you are on top of the mountain right now. By no means are you in a safe position, all right? You do something stupid here, you can mess up the franchise. And if you want proof of that, just look over in Sony's camp and look at what they did with Spider-Man 3. Enough said. Look, Look over at Warner Brothers, and do we recall Batman and Robin? You put too many cooks, too many corporate types, too many opinions on this, and you could screw everything up, all right? But you want to know who I could get to save this right now? Somebody, somebody over in Disney, just place a call to Jason Aaron. Why? He's controlling the Star Wars book for Marvel. Okay, and and my my thing is always go back to Factor Zero here. He's doing a great job with that. He just did a four-part 
run. Well, he's done the whole run. But the last four issues he did, he did something called Rebel Jail, all right, where he had Princess Leia, uh, Sonya Solo, and Dr. Aphra, who, who's a, a major player in the Darth Vader thing, where they're in a rebel jail under siege. Okay? Serious business. People getting killed all around. They still have time for a, a joke or two, but the, the undertones of that was great. You felt it. It was a great story, but it felt different than each of the, the, the previous three or four stories that came before. In other words, you had the same franchise, but the tone of the story is much different than before. And uh, for Sergio, this, this, this run that, that I just talked about with Jason Aaron, I recommend to you the Star Wars annual that came out last year. Very James Bond. Very James Bondish in their universe. So just look it up. Jason Aaron did that too. Okay, it was a very James Bond type story, and it's tied into this story. Okay, but that's a way you could tell a different story under the same umbrella, where you can maintain some jokes, but the tone is much different. The problem with Disney, the problem with Warner Brothers, All right, on the that problem note, with okay, Daryl, Daryl, Daryl. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I'm, I'm just saying. I know, I know. Let me uh, let me just end it on this, okay? Everything does not have to be uniform. Go ahead, Afrener. That's what I wanted to say. Sorry okay. about being long. Apologies, but we got we have yeah, <laughs> folks. This is the Grindhouse edition of Afrener Radio, featuring Claire Lene, yours truly, and of course Daryl B. The indefatigable Captain Kirk is out in assignment. Um, our friend from Shadow and Act, Sergio Mims, is waiting in abeyance. He's uh, on hold. Uh, we're going in and out of pop culture and, and comic book stuff and films and so forth. Let's go to a quick groove for about two minutes to take a break. Uh, I want to also answer Claire's question about Rogue One. Uh, as someone who is on Team Star Trek, um, I will say this, and I, I always put this out there as a phrase, uh, reading the room. These studios should learn how to read the room. I'll leave it at that. I'll explain after this group. This is 1960-what? 1960-what? Gregory Porter. We'll be right back. Hey, the Motor City is 
No, no, I was just saying the panic, the panic is not amongst us fans or people that really enjoyed the trailer. That we were very intrigued because yes, it does take it on a different tone, and yes, everyone was just freaking out about how awesome that clip of all of them on the ground with the ATAT walkers. You know, I mean that that's exciting. That's exciting. I mean, to have it, this movie take on, maybe, I hate to use this word because now it's just lost all meaning, but yes, maybe perhaps a slightly darker, slightly more serious tone with an espionage element, a battlefield element. Why not? Why not? This is a spin-off. This is a standalone chapter. This is not necessarily going to affect your core trilogy. So why? Why go back and freak out and tell the director to reshoot half the movie? <laughs> Are you kidding me? What's going on? Oh, oh man. Uh, it, it, you know, this This is... Uh, I hate to do it. I hate to do it. But my my fellow Jedi, my fellow Sith out there, looking at you from the Star Trek side of things, you know what you're going to end up here? You're going to end up with undiscovered country. I'm sorry to tell you, because this is what uh, just to let people know. I think I think AfroNerd knows. Undiscovered country started out yeah. as one thing, and then the studios got involved, and it became what it became. And I know there was Star Trek fans in the audience going, "What the hell did we just watch for like the last what 70 minutes of that film?" Because it started out as one thing, and we were like, oh, this is cool. Them versus the Klingon Empire. This is going to be, it's a gulag film now? What, what, wait, what? What What are we, God, what? what's going on here? <laughs> Go ahead, AfroNerd. Exactly, and that's why when those people, those people, listen, listen, I understand the purists, okay? I understand the point of view of the Star Trek original series purists and the ones that thought that Gene Roddenberry created something truly special and and visionary absolutely all respect i got you okay but when they started saying things like star trek into darkness is the worst star trek movie of all time i'm sorry but you lost me you lost me you just destroyed any chance of me treating your argument with validity or credibility? Because you all know good and damn well that Star Trek V was a mess, okay? And Nemesis was a mess. Come on now. Let's, let's just be reasonable here. Like, I too, I too freaked out when I saw the Beastie Boys music video in outer space, okay? I freaked out too, but let's just... Let's just calm down and keep things in perspective. That's all I'm saying. Let's turn things around a little bit uh, because of time constraints always. Uh, two, two things I want to get into. I do want to talk about, uh, and, and I would like to hear Claire's uh, feelings on this, Rose McGowan, actress Rose McGowan, who I seem to remember from the see-through dress, but that's just my own reptilian thing. Anyway, <laughs> Rose McGowan, uh, she, she comes out and weighs in on a billboard of the X-Men Apocalypse X-Men Apocalypse uh, movie where it shows a clip of the movie where uh, we see uh, 
Katniss being choked out by Apocalypse. It's a frame from the movie, but she's interpreting it rightfully or wrongfully as kind of putting out the imagery of violence towards women. So Fox backed off, apologized, and they're going to put they're going to take down that billboard. But when you again look into the nerd community and the and the, the billboard pardon me, the um the message boards, these folks are saying, you know, she doesn't know what the hell she's talking about and you know, it's it's not taking on a, a, a proper tone. They, they they seem to take umbrage with her taking umbrage with the violent moment that was depicted in a scene, but it was put out there for public consumption through the billboard. So uh, does McGowan have a point about this, Claire? Um, I hate to pull the woman card out on you, but you can't speak for all women. But is there an issue I mean, with, with this depiction, or is it is it much ado about nothing? Or what are your real, what are your well, honest I'm, thoughts I'm gonna, about what she's saying? I'm going to take umbrage with all of you, with all of these people. First of all, first of all, that image alone is not the way to sell your movie. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You have got so many other great posters and you know all this other marketing material that they've done to put up on billboards does it really have to be a single shot a single frame from the movie of the villain choking out you know mystique aka katniss everdeen really what why why that but in terms of ms mcgowan and all the other social justice warriors calling a foul I think you're kind of overreacting. Now, like I said, I see both sides of it because, frankly, I don't understand why that would be considered, you know, an effective way, effective means of using that visual to sell the movie to get people to come see it. But for her take on it, I'm like, honey, calm down. This is not about, you know, casual violence against women being okay or justified, making it look cool. All right. I just, I don't, I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm shaking my head. And the fact that, of course, Fox apologizes. I mean, I just, the whole thing to me is funny. I can't take any of them seriously because that poster should never have been used as a means to advertise the film in the first place. And she trying to, you know, make herself relevant by, you know crying and screaming and hollering about how this is offensive to women and blah. I just, no, 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 honey, no. Just just sit down, sit down, because you don't really understand the fact that that is what the movie, you know, entails. I mean, that is a direct image from the movie. So if you're freaking out about that, then okay, so I guess you ain't going to see the movie. Fine. But when women do this, when social justice warriors do this, complain about every little thing you make so much noise that no one listens to us when we actually do have a valid complaint so that's my take on it you know as you were talking you know it would make me think about you made me think of something else too you know mcgowan you know i almost feel like mcgowan could have been a could have been an opportunist like in other words you're complaining about this but would you would you have opted to replace Katniss and put on that blue makeup 
I'm not gonna. I can imagine her say. So do do you want do you want me to uh, do you want my neck to be a little bit more enticing for you to 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 put your arm around your hand around? I mean, I'm just I'm saying this comically, but I'm wondering how angry would she be if she were Katniss, if she had gotten that part? Would she be complaining if she were on the opposite side of that paycheck that uh, that Katniss is getting? I'm just wondering. Exactly, because if you're on the receiving end. If you're on the receiving end of all that money and royalties and, you know, um, residual payments of your image being used, then how likely are you to complain then? How upset would you be? When was the last time she's worked? Can anybody tell me? Charmed? Yeah, that's about it. I mean, she was was out there. I mean, her name was – she was a a major player, but – Unfortunately, uh, Hollywood isn't kind to actresses, you know, past 35 or whatever the age the age cutoff is, which is wrong within itself. That that's a problem. Um, you know, I, I I don't know what to say. I mean, I, I understand where they're coming from. But I guess I guess my issue was having seen the film, that wasn't the crux of the film. Like in other words, the film wasn't about violence towards women. It was really about empowered. Heroes of 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 varied genders and so forth fighting each other. So um, Mystique, and they could have used this imagery also. And I, I agree with you in, in, in many regards that it could have easily used because cause if you look at the film in its, in its totality, um, Katniss and I say that affectionately, and maybe not so. Katniss I was don't. giving out her fair. Katniss was giving out her fair share of ass whippings. She was giving out her fair share. So I don't know if McGowan is correct for a still shot when the entirety of the film was really blows being traded back and forth with empowered, fictionalized heroes of varied ethnicities. Uh, well, you know, some of us didn't get as much as much airtime as other folks, but that's another story, which we spoke about already. Shout out to Brian Singer, um, probably Zack Snyder's cousin. Anyway. Hmm. Um, <laughs> And that's the whole, you know, the, that's the, the movie, joke the movie, of it. That is the, that's you know, the joke of the advertisement, because 90% of the movie, she's not even blue. Yeah, that's true, too. So that's why I'm that's like, I'm like, I'm like, shame on all you. Shame on all of you. Why did you use this image to advertise your film? And why are you freaking out, lady? <laughs> Who are you? What you up to? What you doing? Any publicity. And also, and also any, I think something, so hold on real quick. Darryl. Go ahead. And I tell you, I tell you something else. That's also that's also funny about the Hollywood machinery going on here with Singer. Now we're supposed to be stupid and assume that you're just going to give us Hunger Games in blueface. That's what you're going to do because you're talking about a Mystique solo film, but we didn't ask for that. So what are you really trying to say now? You already you, really uh, this iteration of X Men is exactly. That it's a Katniss film in disguise, because Mystique has never been that way. At, uh, really, she's more of a, a, a of a, a spy, subterfuge character. She's never been like the one. She's never been the one. Savior. So why, so why is she make? Why are you making her the one? Is it more about the character, or is it more about the actress and her uh, and her it's ability more about to the actress. Button, You know. It's like, oh, well, really Jennifer Lawrence is in it, so we got to make her front and center. 
And, I, and I'll say I'm this sorry, one other thing, too. The whole thing just pisses me off because, first of all, like you said, Mystique is not so prominent. Mystique is not a messiah. Mystique is not the one to come and save the children, okay? But you want to go crazy and you want to rewrite the X-Men anthology and the whole, you know, storyline and make her the hero, make her the lead of the story, okay, all right. But my issue with this last installment, certainly more so than any time I ever, you know, saw her in First Class or Days of Future Past, but in this movie, it was like a joke to me. It was a joke. It was a blonde Katniss Everdeen. She rarely was in Mystique form to begin with. She rarely morphed into other people. So she wasn't even Mystique. So the fact that he's saying, oh, well, now I want a Mystique solo franchise, are you kidding me? How are you going to have a movie about a shapeshifter who doesn't change form, who just stays her Jennifer Lawrence self? Somebody get Sean McKeever on the phone. Uh, folks that don't know, Sean McKeever t- uh, did a Mystique, along with Brian K. Vaughan. Both, both of them, those writers did Mystique series, early 2000s. Early 2000s? I think the Brian K. Vaughn one was like 2003, 2004, and Sean McKeever was like 2006, 2007. But both of them had her like a straight-up action star, but your, 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 your um, argument is valid. I will say this. It's Fox using any pub is good pub, even bad pub, because social media will pick it up and make the story bigger. Okay, so who cares if we're living in a climate where everybody's sensitive to violence towards women? Who cares if if this scene only happens for a brief 10 seconds in the film? All right. If anything, if anything, this is playing up those conspiracy rumors that Singer really just wants to do a mystique film, because after all, this film was a mystique film. It wasn't an X-Men film. It was a mistake film. Let's let's call brass tacks here. You know, so hey, hey we, we leave it alone. We, we're going to drop the ball. Oh, they issued the apology now. Now that the billboard has gone viral across the world. Now that it's been argued and, and debated about on Fox News, on CNN, on MSNBC, on BET, on local newscasts everywhere. People talking about it. Fox got what they wanted. They got to knock off Civil War or any other news off the the page for a while while everybody's arguing about this billboard that's connected to X-Men Apocalypse. That's what they wanted. They got what they wanted. And, And Rose McGowan, like a sucker, fell into this. Fell right into this and gave them free advertising. Back to you, Afrinerd. No, she's complicit. She's complicit because she's getting her little 15 minutes of fame as well because she sure as hell ain't getting it from anywhere else. No, you know who the sucker is? We the sucker. We the sucker. Good for you, Fox. Good for you, Fox. Good for you, Brian Singer and Simon Kinberg, you hack of a writer. Y'all took my money. You took my money. Good for you. I got to say this quickly, too. Um, You know, listen, I I can appreciate the fact that She's looking at a still photograph, and, yeah, you know, cause we saw this with the killing joke also. 
you know, the Killing Joke, the um, was it the Killing Joke, Daryl, something more, something recent, where they showed uh, the the Joker. I think I think they went Batgirl. back into the Killing Joke. No, the Batgirl cover. Right, she the Batgirl cover. Back they, cover. They, yeah, they referenced the Killing Joke with the Joker, uh, and she's cowering and looking menacing. And, you know, he's menacing. And she's looking frightened. Uh, you know, a, a disempowered woman looking frightened as if she's death is imminent that's that issue i mean when you start to see that as as an imagery i understand that um i guess the the issue is if you're going to deal with didn't, equality didn't she get raped or something not in the killing joke i don't think she was just, uh, they she was alluded shot and to paralyzed. It. they alluded to that there was some sexual Things, but they was never shown on page. They showed stuff on the photographs that was uh, selectively and creatively blocked that gave you the impression that she was sexually molested, even raped by the Joker and his goons, you know, to further twist the knife into Commissioner Gordon and by proxy Batman. But it was never shown back then literally on the page. That, so, yeah, take that uh, however you want to do it. It was intimated. But the story does not end well for Barbara, right? No. No, not at all. Okay. See, that's I mean, how it's different. For that's a long while, it doesn't end well. That disempowerment, whereas this image from X-Men does not. Well, yeah, well, the, the X-Men image is just a moment in time. It's not, it is, it's not the entirety of the film. Like, I don't know. I would have I preferred if... McGowan um, weighed in on it having seen the film. You can't really comment on a still photograph. Although, if you want to use that still photograph, like you said, to to market your film, that may be a question. I guess I know, as a, as, as a man of color, how I looked at it, I had to go there sometimes, is, damn, when somebody, when one person raises their mouth about imagery, somehow stuff is, people capitulate and they make changes. When it, we're rife with imagery that is highly offensive, highly questionable, and there's a, there's a debate about it, and no one's really backtracking on it. Not nearly enough. That's where I, I feel like we need to we you know we need to scrap a lot of things where the imagery is not a good one. That's one thing. So I I kind of understand where she's coming from, but I'm, like, but I'm like, damn, this is a moment in time, and you know, try living in in our skin where we are always put in a subversive positioning all the time. Now, she threw that out there, by the way. She threw that out there. She went to this whole thing about, well, what if it was a white man choking a black man, uh, or what if it was a gay, uh, straight person choking a gay person? I mean, she went to all this whole power dynamic thing. So that, that, that has, she has a point, but that wasn't the film. If the film had that, there are films that actually portray that to the present day. That, that everyone on, on this uh, on this show fight against, and she, we don't hear anything from her. Okay, so it's one thing for this film not to be that; it's another thing for the culture to be exactly that for their films in, in their entirety. And no one listens, you know. So I, I think she has a point, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I wish she would have seen the film, and maybe and maybe they should have. They could have easily used countless badassery moments where Katniss was doing her thing. But I, I'm not inclined to have her uh, her be the, the central figure of her, of her own uh, of her own series. Now, I'm just looking at this. I, I remember the X-Men when I was more into them. 
uh, when they were less less ubiquitous as they are now. And I'm going to read this quick quick thing about who Mystique is, which this is not uh, Jennifer Lawrence's version. When you look up Mystique on Wiki Wikipedia, it says it, it says implicitly, just to make sure I'm not hallucinating. It says throughout most of her history, Mystique has been a supervillain, founding her own Brotherhood of Mutants and assassinating assassinating several important people involved in mutant affairs. At one point, she mentions that she is over 100 years old. Mystique is the mother of the villain Grayton uh, Creed, Nightcrawler, yada, 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 adoptive mother of Rogue. Uh, the way that, that Rebecca Romaine Stamos, or Rebecca Romaine now, um, the way she portrayed her, and she was, mo- she was mostly in blue in the early iterations, I thought was more faithful to the character than Jennifer Lawrence and that whole, and we also know what's going on there too. Jennifer Lawrence is, is is a young woman, and you know she she meets a certain a certain standard crossover appeal, and that's they, they're going to run with it. That's what it is. That's right. that's She's marketing. The it girl. She's the it girl. Uh, you know that that's what's really going on. But you know the thing here. is about Fox Lauren Schuler Donner. During some of the interviews that she was uh, holding to promote Days of Future Past, it became obvious listening to these interviews between her and Kinberg and Singer that the reason why they don't have any consistency at all in their timelines, I mean, hell, we saw that with End of Days of Future Past, Stryker is not the one that retrieves Wolverine from the river. When the eyes turn yellow, obviously, we are meant to believe that that's Mystique. I mean, um, Mystique, right. Mm-hmm. So this ho- nothing, nothing ever lines up. Nothing ever makes sense in terms of the timeline, in terms of the age of Emma Frost, in terms of the age of Scott and Alex Summers. Nothing makes sense throughout the entire history of, of the X-Men movies. So when you go back and listen to what they value or what they care about in terms of who they choose, it's very clear. They don't value consistency or staying true to the comics or the timeline. They only care about which power set looks cool. And then with Days of Future Past, she outright said it. She outright said that, oh, well, for the apocalyptic future of Days of Future Past, I wanted to throw in some, you know, more diverse characters. Really? Well, then I go back and I see on the deleted scenes of Days of Future Past that all, all of the deleted scenes are the ones in which the people of color have any lines. Funny how that works, huh? Yeah, it's always isn't it? And now you're telling me that, oh, well, the one and only Jubilee scene is the deleted. Okay, you know what? I'm done with y'all. I'm done. Folks, to, to the listening audience, I see quite a few people uh, are listening by their phones. As always, if you'd like to join in with the discourse, join in on the discourse, pardon me, simply press 1. That way we will know that you'd like to join in. And again, the phone number is 646-915-9620, 646-915-9620. Let's turn things around again. Um, I got a chance to check out, and I actually liked it, Clever Man, courtesy of Sundance TV. Uh, did any of my co-discussants actually see this aboriginal science fiction series, which I think is somewhat reminiscent of the X-Men, 
Yep. Let's go to Daryl B. What, what were your thoughts? What did you think? Episode one, Clever Man. I, I got the same feeling that I got when I saw the first episode of Misfits. Like, wow, they, they're going there. Let's hope that there's no interference. Let's see this vision play out for a season. Let's see this thing work. You know, don't don't interrupt because it is potentially far different than anything on television right now, and we we can and that that is not being verbose. I mean, sure, there's there's some elements of melodrama. You're gonna have that because you know, half the cast are youngings. All right, and you you and once you see it, you'll see what I'm talking about. But if you're a superhero fan. I don't see how you don't watch this movie at least to get a, a, a passing interest to take a look because everything we complain about with X-Men, everything we complain about with, with superhero films and some of the stuff from TV, you know, they, I, hey, I don't know who the director of this is offhand, but he had to be a comic book fan growing up. Because he turns a couple of tropes on its ear very early in this. And I'm interested to see where he goes with it. And that's about how I can explain it as non-spoilery as possible, people. I do recommend it. I recommend it. This, this gave me the same feelings, like I said, that Misfits gave me. And hell, it gave me the same feelings as District 9 gave me. Not the, the, the film, but the, the the YouTube short that became the film. So, um, Afrener, back to you. Well, the, to give you some clarity on that, when you were asking about who directed it, you have two folks here, and interestingly enough, they're both folks who are of Aboriginal origin. Uh, Wayne Blair and Leah Purcell are the directors of the of Clever Man, um, and they happen to be of Aboriginal Indigenous. Australian descent. So um, that's what's actually what's going on here. And, and like you said, it, it, it has a lot of um, connections, at least tonally, to what we've seen as far as, uh, you know, disenfranchised people getting powers. Uh, shout out to Kwanzaa and his uh, black comic. I, I can foresee this essentially bl- being sort of like the quote-unquote black comic instead, instead of uh, these are the quote-unquote black people of Australia. I think I think Aboriginals actually consider themselves black. I, oh, they use the term black uh, to describe themselves. Uh, I'm still doing the research on that, by the way. I think that there are <laughs> there are some African. Well, there are some African origins. Yes, yeah, there well, are. Obviously, Aboriginal, Abor, Abor, Aboriginal. So it is what it kind of speaks for itself. But anyway, we don't. It has a lot of things going on with it because we know that there are some um, racial issues with the indigenous folk. And the and the white Australians in Australia, um, dovetailing or, or channeling kind of a segregation segregationist kind of tone politically in the present day, and that subtext is present with Clever Man, but except the Aboriginals who have the powers are called Harrys, and they happen to be hairy. Uh, they're hairy and they're empowered, mystical. It's, it's violent. Uh, there's some parts I was like, whoa, you know, the main character, something happens to him. That was like, ooh, that's pretty brutal. Um, I, I, I like it. I mean, I, so far, I was, listen, when I see folks of color, I 
not that I have to be so politicized, but I, I find myself being more engrossed in it. You, you, you do need to see yourself. You do need to see people of color where it's like you're engrossed in it. it, it you don't have to always have – and we have white listeners, but they have to understand. Always seeing white males especially being the hero, always having the answer. Even white audiences are tired of that because it gets to be it, – it's, it's, it's tropey. To do something with different people, different cultures, different locales makes it interesting. So this whole slice of life, even though it's episode one, I was into it. Claire, did you happen to see Clever Man? I did not, but I will definitely have to check it out. You said that's on, what, Sundance TV? Sundance. Okay. Don't you okay, worry. I'll, I'll, I got yeah, you. I got you. I got you. Okay. I got you. <laughs> <Don't worry. laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, I would suggest you see it. Um, I th- when, when is episode two coming up, Daryl? It should be this week sometime. I think it was uh, uh, because of Memorial Day. They they put off. They they reshow just like with Preacher. They reshowed the pilot a couple of times, but mm-hmm. the the next fresh episode should be this week. All right, turning things around again, two two topics quickly. One, i, I got to talk about this briefly. You know, I spoke about this on Wednesday, and for some reason it keeps on nagging at the craw of my neck with Snoop Dogg, Calvin Brodus weighing in on the Roots reboot. Um, I have to mention, actually, I, I wish I had ca- captured the audio of Mario Van Peebles being interviewed on the uh, Reverend Sharpton radio show. He went into this whole thing, because I believe he directed episode two of the Roots reboot on the History Channel. Uh, I think it's on, on several networks. And he went into this whole thing that all of us would appreciate. He really broke it down so masterfully about how, if you do not tell your stories, if you don't tell your own stories, what passes for your life being told by the majority culture is always going to be a substandard. He said that he said something about uh, it's what, he, he must be listening to Afrinor Radio. He said something about if you if there's a martial if, it, if there's a martial arts um, aesthetic or backdrop, there's going to be a white guy who's the center of that. If it's uh, indigenous people, Native Americans, uh, he went into this whole thing about dancing with wolves. He broke down almost every story trope, storyline or trope with people of color, cross-racially, where the common, the common denominator is it's about you, but it isn't really about you. I was like, wow. I mean, we talk about this, but it's, some, it's cool for someone who's in the business to kind of put it out there plain and, plain and simple. And we said it before ad nauseum, but the way that he said it, I wish I had time to have captured that audio. But when he went into this whole thing about, yeah, you know, when it's time for martial arts, the white dude's going to be doing kicking the ass. You're not, it's not going to be about Asian folk in there. If it's if it's if it's Native Americans, you're gonna have uh, you're not who was the star of um, Dance with Wolves? Of Wolves, I can't think of his name. Right, Ke- uh, Kevin um, Costner. Kevin Costner. He he's the, he's the, the the Native American proxy <laughs> because your your red behind is not going to be there at the focal focal spot. So it's 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 life in America. So we, we, you're going to have to end up, you're going to have to do your thing, ultimately. But I, I appreciate what he said. So anyway, um, 
we have this Roots reboot. Snoop Dogg weighs in in this expletive, indigo-smoking indigo rant about inward this, inward that. I'm tired of seeing black people portrayed this way, yada, yada, yada. And I said, okay, why is Snoop Dogg the ambassador all of a sudden? This is when you know you're being, you're being controlled and you're being played. And I want to pass this around the horn. Uh, why is he – did you, anyone know, pick up the fact that for some reason he was the centerpiece of the story? But everyone, everyone say, well, Snoop Dogg says that Roots shouldn't, Roots is whack. I'm like, okay, did I miss something? Well, if Why is Snoop, Snoop Dogg said it, then you know it must be true. Uh, yeah, I'm like, well, what is going on? I mean, would they have asked Mantan Moreland or Sleep and Eat or Step and Fetch It in the 30s about geopolitical affairs? So why are we assuming? Because I, I would say to some of these people that are, that are he was in Soul Plane. The man from Soul Plane is commenting on the on the, the validity of roots. Now, listen. I, I will first. I will be the first to say. I have, I grow weary with slave depictions, but you must ha- you must show the history. Um, George Takei talks very succinctly. I see, and I know people. They joke about it. Whatever. I get it. When he talks about internment of Japanese people during World War II. And how his family was uprooted as a chi- as a child, and how businesses were lost, lives were ruined. Ger- they, were, they were Germans and Italians living in America. They were not interred. So we know what that's about. But that story has to be told, so it does not happen again. When Jewish people went through their horrors, there are multitudes of that depiction in cinema, and it's never going to stop, and it shouldn't stop. So the issue with what happened with um, slavery in this country is that, yes, it's, it's trying. But uh, as long as it's balanced, I have no issue with it. it, it what happens with, with minority folk, unfortunately, is you end up being perceived that, oh, this is, this is the thing, and we, st- we stay with that. Oh, this, this, this thing with empire, oh, this empire, we've got to get another one. Not that you might want, oh, wait a minute, people of color are actually starting to gain ground. Let's, let's throw some, you know, let's just go out there and put some, some, some artistic, generalized artistic depictions of people of color. No, this sliver of life, we're going to run with that. It's never multifaceted. But for Snoop Dogg to be the, the, the crux of the story, who, who's being played here? What, what is that? I thought no, no one said anything about why he's the spokesperson all of a sudden. And you actually chose the perfect guy to talk about this with or perfect guy to give an example because, believe it or not, there were people opposed to George Takei taking part in – I forget the name of the Broadway play, but it was – uh, but it, would, it had to do with Asian internment during World War II specifically Japanese-Americans that got interred. And they turned it into a musical-slash-play type thing. And he said he... Yeah, he said he felt resistance from the Asian community about doing this. And and Takei had the perfect response, like, it's our history. We can't deny it. But in a way, if I help enlighten, then 
it, maybe it will never happen again. Okay? What? Hey, Snoop, when you criticize this type of movie, I often turn and I like your music, Snoop. You know, yeah, it's it's facetious as heck, but it's great for parties and all of that. But when was the last time you made music that enlightened people? That's all I want to know. When you rip something like Roots and say, oh, I'm tired, it's, I'm tired of that, you know, this is the problem I have with you guys on, on certain tiers, all right? If you're going to rip something, mean, uh, it, it, yes, it's entertainment, but it's also a, 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 a pseudo-historical tale. It's also something to make you look at your life a little deeper, too, all right? When uh, once you throw that stone at that gra- glass house, guess what? Those inside the glass house can look right back directly at you and go, "What have you done, sir?" Back to you, Afrinard. Yeah, quickly. I can see this a couple uh, different ways. In terms of George Takei, I I absolutely respect the fact that he took on that project because yes, it is important to address and acknowledge that this happened and that it should never happen again. We must educate and enlighten people that may not realize or may not appreciate or may not know. So I'm all for it, okay? Because honestly, off the top of my head, I cannot think of that many films that would depict that sort of story. Off the top of my head, I can think of a bunch of black slave movies Hell, we got at least one black slave movie every year at the Oscars. Yeah. So, listen, I, with all due respect, I don't believe that anyone should be ripping on this, you know. But I'd be lying if I didn't say that I, too, have become weary of constantly seeing these movies churn out. You know, listen, I'm very excited for... Um, you know, what Nate Parker was Nate. able to accomplish in terms of the Nat Turner story, and he's even he's even changing the meaning of the title, Birth of a Nation, which for a hundred years has had a very ugly connotation. So listen, I can appreciate that. I can give her props to that. I can give respect to that. But I'm tired of seeing black people in that light. Aren't you? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think what it is is that you, you, it's like spinach. You do need spinach and vegetables, that kind of thing. You, you need that. But at the same time, you need a full meal. And we're not getting a full meal. So it's, it's more of you need it because people need to be informed. For, and for informational purposes, you've got to have these films going on. But it can't be the sole story. And what happens, yeah, unfortunately, with minority folk, minority folk is that you're not treated like a, like a full human being. You're perceived as, okay, this is what you're about. You're not multifaceted, and we're just going to run with this trend. You're treated as a trend, so you're not perceived as, seeing, as being seen as anything else. Um, and that's what's at issue here. I want to quickly go to something else because we've got our four minutes remaining. Uh, courtesy of the – well, hold on. I see our, our friend – four minutes remaining – now the calls start to come in. 484, welcome to okay. the Grindhouse. 
Hey, it's Q. Hey, I'm Q, not, I know you got up? four minutes left. You got four minutes. I just want to say, you, Claire, Daryl, you're on point uh, with this with the uh, the slave trope. I don't want to get rid of them, and that's why I get so furious when I hear folks talk about they want to criticize Black Panther. That's why we need to shut up about that yeah. because yeah. that is what that's we want to complain that all we see is slaves, but then when they when they deign or condescend to give us something new, what do we do? We do what we do best. We complain. I'm done. Well, I'm done. Yeah, we're well, our own you, worst enemies in that regard. Well, this, you, you got you got the – I mean, I'm not so sure about the actresses because I'm not a real big, you know, uh, Taraji P. Henson person. But the, the one about these, these uh, NASA black ma- female mathematicians in the 60s that were able to chart the route to the moon uh, that many folks are not aware of um, – that's a story, but you know, will the community get behind that because it's not as sexy as you know something like uh, Soul Plane? Even though Soul Plane didn't work, I'm being facetious. But whether Soul Plane or the the man from Soul Plane and the Wash is complaining about stereotyping, you need to sit down. You're the problem. Snoop Dogg is the problem, but no one says anything, and and we're being clowned because I, last time I checked, they wouldn't ask Sleepy his opinion. On World War One or World War Two, they wouldn't have done that. Anyway, quickly, uh, a couple of minutes remaining. The Mary Sue website, I, fi- I found interesting that they had a highlight of podcasters of color, and you know they're talking about, well, wow, you know, you have all these different groups besides white males that are discussing blurred, well, not blurred, but nerd stuff, geekery. Uh, <laughs> and then I see that the commenters are saying. Oh, I didn't think about that. So, what are your what are your thoughts about you know if, if white folks don't know you, then you really don't exist. That's correct. What's up with what's up with that? That is correct. I wish that if was they don't think about it, then you don't exist. Just like when I was talking about fresh off the boat, okay, fresh off the boat. Twenty years, twenty years since an Asian American cast on national television since Margaret Cho. I told people twenty years. And they looked at me like, oh, really? Oh, I didn't notice. <sighs> look, look, look. We, we're here, okay? The, and that's, that's the, the nearsightedness of some of our people, some of their people. Just because you think it doesn't exist doesn't mean it's, it's not out there, all right? That's why I tell people, use your heads. Use your minds. Everybody's got smartphones. Everybody's got computers. You know, we we are all now easy to find. Back to you, Afrinus. All right. Unfortunately, on that note, we're going to have to go to a groove, and we're going to have to leave. I actually had considered expanding the show, but you never know how these things these things work out when it comes down to our topics. Uh, we'll we'll get into this again next week. Claire, as always, uh, I assure you, we'll get this uh, straightening out of the intro. Because you are definitely a, uh, a integral part of the machinery, Daryl. As always, uh, keep it safe for the weekend. We'll do it again yeah. next week. Just blame the billboard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> this is this is sunshine featuring Reggie Watts with Flight Facility. See you next week. It's been real. Uh, check. <laughs>